When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I am Josh Dooley, and with me, as always, he is the Jules Winfield to my Vincent Vega. You better know what that is. Uh, The one, the only, Chuck Holmes. Chuck, I normally ask how you're feeling at the beginning of these pods, but I think I can just assume this week, and I assume that you are sick with anxiety. So... Let me ask a different question. One to ten, ten being you want to pass out. How are the nerves this week? And also, how are you coping with said nerves? So I am uh, fortunate that I've been so busy that I can't really like lock in on the concept of what's going to happen Saturday. So I'm low. I'm like a two or a three right now. Saturday morning will be a little different, right? When you get up, especially if I beat the kids up, I'm having a cup of coffee and then you're just kind of waiting. And that waiting part is the worst. It was almost better when we were young and we got blitzkrieged on Friday night so we could just sleep up until kickoff if it was a road game or if it was a home game, you were just out. Now that I'm an old man and I'm up early, like that's going to be a four hour wait for me and that part that's gonna be a long morning saturday morning you know the alternative is you have to sit around for 12 hours because frankly this should be a night game so maybe you get the benefit from that it being a nooner is ridiculous in my mind but you know obviously we're talking about the penn state ohio state game we shouldn't bury the lead but it should be a night game it should always be a night game just like the the Michigan game should always be a nooner. Like I, I'm cool with splitting those up and making them different, but it is what it is. Money makes the world go round, and it is officially week eight of the college football season. But more importantly, it is Penn State week for us, Ohio State, all of Buckeye Nation. Unlike Chuck, I am and will be riddled with anxiety, but we press forward because we are professionals and. We do want to entertain our millions and millions of listeners. Obviously, Chuck and I are going to preview Saturday's top 10 matchup in the shoe. But first, as we typically do, Chuck, you and I are going to filibuster for a little bit. Make this episode 15 to 20 minutes longer than it really has to be. That's our MO. 
he and I are recording on Tuesday, which means that Ryan Day had his weekly presser earlier this afternoon. I want to start there. Per usual, we learned very little, Chuck. Day was mom on Ohio State's injury situation, but at least he did not give us false hope. Like, if that means anything to you. If I had to guess, well, I don't know what the hell my guess would be. Because I honestly have no idea if we are going to see Emeka Ibuka, Travion Henderson, and or Denzel Burke, among others. I hope that we see all of them, but in my opinion, Burke is the most important guy for this particular game. Chuck, do you agree with that statement? I don't. I actually think it's Ibuka, but Burke is very, very important. And and the reason I don't, we'll get into more later, and I'll bring up why when we get into it with the preview, but to me, Emeka Ibuka is the answer for two reasons um one we saw what other people did and i don't know that you're depending on a true freshman in this game to be your second receiver is the most uh nerve settling scenario uh and the other part um i'm a little more confident in the cornerback depth with the idea of Sonny Styles playing more in the slot than I think you are. That's probably fair. Which is crazy crazy to say. For me, for me to have that confidence in the U not is insane. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's definitely a bit of a role reverse, or it's just it's different from like last year and the years before, right? To Egbuka's credit, yeah, I don't think anyone can replicate anyone on this team, this Ohio State team can replicate what he does with the ball in his hands. I think that other guys can run really good routes. I think that other guys can get to where they need to be on the field. And that they, I almost want to say, can they replicate his um, just open field ability? But then you look at what he does as like a kick returner. He's not very good, honestly. So I... I think that guys can sort of come together and replicate a lot of what Igbuka gives you, but it takes more than one, right? Igbuka can do everything. He's all in one package, and he just he instills that fear into the opposing defense, whereas maybe Penn State or whomever gets a little more aggressive when if Xavier Johnson is starting or Cornell Tate is starting and that aggression sort of uh, impacts Ohio State in a negative manner. So sometimes it's just his presence that sort of does the deal for them or for the Buckeyes, I should say. So I get that, but Denzel Burke has just played so well. I saw a uh, mid-season All-American thing floating around today, and it was crap, frankly. Marvin Harrison Jr. wasn't on there, but neither was Denzel Burke. For my money, Denzel Burke has been one of the best corners in the country. I I guess he doesn't get the notoriety or attention of a Travis Hunter just because he's not on TV all the time. He doesn't have his own podcast on Bleacher Report, right? But... He's at least all Big Ten level. He's taking away one side of the field. He's tackling 
with authority and just being physical, doing everything that Ohio State needs him to do. So I think it's Denzel Burke. It's probably six of one, half dozen of another, though, between potential All-American on defense and potential All-American on offense. Like They're both really, really good players, so I hope that we see both of them. Also in his press conference, Ryan Day was complimentary of Penn State's defense for good reason. They're ranked first in a whole bunch of meaningful metrics. I think and I hope that Day knows that he must bring his A game on Saturday. We all know what that looks like. That's the Georgia game. That's a Clemson game in the past. That's pick a bunch of them. That's a lot of second halves after he's had time to make adjustments. I think that Ohio State needs that off the rip. But again, nothing real surprising from Day. I am or was more interested in some of the things that defensive coordinator Jim Knowles had to say. He said that Cody Simon and Steel Chambers are neck and neck right now. Not sure how I feel about that. And then he was complimentary of true freshman Jermaine Matthews Jr. He expressed confidence in the young fella if Denzel Burke cannot go. Frankly, I would rather see Burke in 2022 steal Chambers on the field. But Chuck, how did you react to some of Knowles' comments? I think him talking Matthews up was probably a bad sign. To me, it was... Cool, uh, I cool. Think it, <laughs> <laughs> I, because if he didn't expect him to play, I think he probably would have just pushed the uh, question away and not had a bunch to say. But I think there was something to a little gamesmanship there of saying, yeah, we're fine here. We're, we're, we're going to be just fine. And I don't disagree that they'll be just fine, but he, you just—he's not going to replace Denzel Burke, not at the level Burke's playing at right now. The Cody Simon thing wasn't unexpected. I mean, we—we've been talking for weeks now that we didn't think Steel Chambers was playing as well as uh, he has. It was interesting that he mentioned that they had to verify what Simon was doing in games in practice. They had to make a concerted effort to get him practice time against the ones to kind of verify, Hey, this isn't just, he's catching lightning in a bottle. The few plays that he's playing uh, in sub packages or whatever it is that he's playing. And they actually did that and he has confirmed it. So I am here to say that I am going to back off Cody Simon for the foreseeable future, because it sure seems like, Everything prior to this last three or four or five games, I didn't think he really had deserved and then didn't play well enough to justify staying in that lineup or staying in his spot. It sure seems like that that's changed. So I'm here for the Cody Simon show, apparently. How many times does he need to get roasted in coverage before you no longer support Cody Simon, though? Uh, less than one. It could be an incomplete pass that he was just out of position on, and I'll be completely out. Don't They don't even need to actually gain any yards. Okay, that's fair. That's a rational way to look at it. Do you think that Cody Simon's improved play, especially against Penn State, or as we look towards Penn State just a little bit, do you think that that means we may see three linebackers in the game, sort of a traditional 4-3, three, 
Or do you think that they are going to try to guess certain plays and say, okay, run heavy look. We need to get Cody out there. We need to have him out there in this set on this series, whatever it is, and sort of go back and forth. Because Steel Chambers is much better in coverage, even if he's had trouble in the run game and identifying gaps and where he needs to be this year. Or do you think that Cody Simon just plays over Steel Chambers no matter what? I think it's both. I think he's going to play over steel. I, I bet if you in the number of snaps that the uh, they only had two linebackers on the field, I would say Simon probably outsnaps him. But I also think, and I'm pretty sure he said this during that they're going to utilize both. That they're going to have Sonny in there as a kind of a third linebacker, but they're also going to play three linebackers because let's be honest, like there's going to be opportunities at the line of scrimmage in this game. So. I would venture to say he still outsnaps him, but the three linebackers—they're both going to play a lot, and we still need to see a a much improved Steel Chambers in this game for Ohio State to have success. I really wish that, and maybe they do. I wish that Ohio State had a three-four look. I don't know if we'll ever see it. I doubt that we do, but you know, JT Tuimolo and Jack Sawyer—they're not. They're not Von Miller-esque ends, right? They're bigger, beefier dudes. They're balanced. They have a balanced game. They can get after the quarterback a little bit. They're good against the run. Throw in whatever D-tackle you want. If it's 3-4, you're probably talking Hamilton. But then think about the linebacker possibilities. If you want to let Steel Chambers play outside, like he probably should, that's an outside linebacker. Sonny Styles, maybe outside linebacker, and then you just protect Tommy and Cody Simon in the middle. Like I said, that's pie in the sky. I don't think that we'll see that. But a game like this against Penn State, who likes to run the ball, and when they throw, they tend to keep it underneath. If you could find some linebackers that were versatile, I'd love to see that. But I don't know. Do you think that that would work against a team like this or – Am I just sort of crazy here? It may work, but I do think you're crazy to think okay. that the right. Buckeyes would pull something off like that. You never know, man. Like, we saw some stuff against Georgia last year in the CFP that it wasn't, like, unheard of. We're like, oh, okay. CJ Stroud hasn't run in three years. So there it is. So you never know. But, partner, I think it's just time. Like, let's stop messing around. I think that this Penn State conversation is going to go a while. So let's just slide towards our preview. What do you say? I'm ready. Let's take a break. That way we're just full speed, 100 miles an hour, all gas, no brakes. All right, we'll do that. We'll pay some bills. We'll pay Chuck's exorbitant salary with some ad reads and all that good stuff. And we'll be back in just a minute. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Hang Out in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast for Chuck Holmes. I am Josh Dooley, and it is Penn State week. No fluffer, no filler, no long intro this week. We kept the filibustering to a minimum. Let's not beat around the bush, Chuck. This is an impressive, scary, dangerous football team. If you are an Ohio State player, coach, or fan, 
James Franklin's squad is currently 6-0, and ranked number 7 in the AP poll. And the Nittany Lions are 11-0 since they lost to the Buckeyes last season. Their average margin of victory in 2023 is something like 100 points. So, first and foremost, Chuck, is this the best top-to-bottom team, the most viable threat to OSU that James Franklin has had since 2016, which is the last time the Nittany Lions beat the Buckeyes? Yes, and it it comes down to they now have a quarterback. That group of time in there was the Sean Clifford show. And prior to that, they had a quarterback and now they have one. But yes, this is this is the most worried I've been for a non-Michigan game in years. I, I And I don't think it's really close. I would agree with you, except for the fact that it's here in Columbus. Like, that doesn't mean that Ohio State's going to win by any means, but, like, when they've gone and played in whiteouts in the past, I'm like, oh, man, I do not feel good about this going in. But, yeah, for me, it's the team balance and also the totality of Penn State's offense, which we will eventually look at in detail. Penn State has had experienced quarterbacks, talented skill guys, and they've even had great defenses. They have in recent years, but... They've rarely had all of those things clicking at the same time. This 2023 version is solid across the board. And then I do think that Drew Aller gives them a higher ceiling than in recent years. We'll get to some of the individual players and position matchups and all that good stuff. But first, I want to read you a few stats that I came across while I was researching this Penn State powerhouse. Like I said earlier, 11-0 since the loss at Happy Valley last season. In those 11 games, they have scored 30-plus every single time. They've pitched three shutouts, including two of of Big Ten teams, Maryland in 2022, Iowa this year. Turnover ratio during that span is 4-1. to And then the exact average margin of victory this season is 36.3. I mean... This team is dominating, and I guess one could argue that their best wins in this recent stretch, right, are against a depleted Utah team in last season's Rose Bowl and a shitty Iowa team this season. But guess who else semi-recently stomped a depleted Utah team in a Rose Bowl and a shitty Iowa team? That's right, Ohio State. So, Chuck... How much should we read into Penn State's recent dominance? Like, are they legitimately one of the top five best teams in college football this year? Or are they riding a little bit of a hot streak that has been buoyed by a soft schedule in 2023? Because keep in mind, they've played Delaware, UMass, Northwestern, a down Illinois team, and an Iowa squad that produced 76 total yards of offense. 76. I know Brian Ferentz sucks, but 76 is a crazy, fluky number. So which is it for this Penn State team? I think that right there is kind of the proof that it's not a fluke because it's not like they're, they went 11-0, like you said, and every three is eight points. 
They're putting up 30-plus every single game. They're handling Big Ten opponents. You're right. Ferentz sucks, but 76 yards is unheard of. 76 yards would have been unheard of in 1904 at three, where offenses rule the day. So it is, to me, it's not a fluke. Could you argue they're top 10 instead of top five? Okay. But I think top 10 is without a doubt. And to me, you can't name five teams right now that are A, undefeated, and B, playing better than they are. Even if you, like, who are you going to pick? You're going to pick Michigan. Could you argue Ohio State? I would, you could argue it, but I think Penn State has played better over overall. They don't have a couple of suspect wins like Ohio State had to start the year. Georgia, what have they done? Like, their their wins aren't anything either. Well, uh, and if we're talking about right now, too. they're down their best player, Georgia is. Sure. So then you got Washington and you got Florida State. That's it. Uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. So that's it. So there's only six teams, seven teams there that you can even put in the conversation. So, yeah, I would say it. Well, that sucks. I was hoping you'd talk me out of it. But yeah, Penn State's good, man. They really are. No, man, these guys are good. They're good. They really are. Like, And I don't want to say... I, like, I don't want to disparage what they've done or say, certainly say anything that is going to cause me to put you know my foot in my mouth here, but there's still something in the back of my mind that's like, okay, but I, I got to see it against a team with a pulse on both sides. Right, I need to see them against a team with a pulse on both sides of the ball. But, I don't know. Let's just look at some players and matchups here. The strength of Penn State's offense, in my opinion, is their insane running game. But, said offense is certainly elevated by having a capable quarterback. And that quarterback's name is Drew Aller. He's an Ohio native. He was a big-time recruit and a big get for James Franklin. He appeared in 10 games, primarily as Sean Clifford's backup in 2022, and then took the reins this year after Clifford was forced to leave Happy Valley against his will after a decade. And the kid can spin it. You know, he's completing 65% of his passes with 12 touchdowns and zero interceptions. I'll say it again, zero interceptions. He can also run the ball a bit with three rushing touchdowns. I'll say this, though. Killer underneath, hits his guys on the move, but doesn't take a ton of deep shots. You know, I want to give credit to X account, sounds weird to say, formerly known as Twitter, but X account, JR's rankings. I hope this guy's not making me look foolish, but according to good old JR, Aller has attempted 12 throws of 20 plus yards downfield with five of those throws coming this past weekend against UMass. So we're talking one deep shot per week through the first handful of games. And nearly half of Aller's throws, oh, sorry, he only completed one of those five deep shots against UMass. And nearly half of all Aller's throws are within 10 yards. Chuck, fluke, design, or potential weakness there in his game? This is kind of step O for the next quarterback, uh, starting quarterback. They don't push the ball down the field. Now, you bet your ass 
that they threw it five times last week strictly to put it on film, just like we the first thing that came out of our minds when Devin Brown came in was they're trying to get this formation on film for Penn State. So they they're doing that. They they know who they are. They're not going to throw the ball deep. He needed to complete a couple of them to really scare anybody. So he didn't. But the other part of that, and it's actually kind of surprising because you talked about the running game being the strength. And what normally do you get off a running game? You get play action. And it doesn't seem like they're able to do anything with that, which is shocking to me. So six games or five, were they six games in now? Yeah, they're six in. Yep. Six games in, you are who you are. In my opinion, you may have little tweaks. And if you get a bye week, maybe you can pull out a wrinkle like Ohio State has done. But they are who they are. And this game for Penn State offensively is going to be from the line of scrimmage 10 yards out. Like that is going to be where they win this game offensively. Yeah, I went, I specifically looked back at Penn State's game against Iowa. And this isn't apples to apples, but if Ohio State can contain that Penn State running game the way that Iowa did for the most part, then you'd think that it's going to be on Drew Aller's shoulders, right? They won 31 to nothing. They put up nearly 400 total yards, but it was a lot of rush, a lot of rushing attempts, 57 to be exact. Yards per carry wasn't through the roof. And then, yeah, Drew Aller threw four touchdowns against the Hawkeyes. But he was 25 for 37 for 166 yards. His average yards per attempt was, gosh, what is that? Five, six yards per attempt, right? So if Ohio State can do the same thing, then they're going to force Drew Aller to throw underneath, which is clearly what he's more comfortable doing. And, you know, I don't know, maybe that works to Ohio State's advantage. I'm not sure. But, you know, part of the reason is they're also, part of the reason that I don't think he throws deep nearly as often is they're also always up big and they want to run the ball 45 times per game. So I don't know if a ton of deep shots are necessary, right? Uh, but at running back, the Nittany Lions have three more than capable guys, plus a backup quarterback in Bo Prabula. That's fun. Bo Prabula, who can come in and run. Katron Allen is Thunder. Nick Singleton is Lightning. And Trey Potts is a guy who decided that he wanted to be no higher than third string as a fifth-year senior. I think that's interesting. But I guess that he and Jack Tuttle are Big Ten football's ring chasers, 29 years old, going to be a backup somewhere. Look, Allen and Singleton are both awesome. And for what it's worth, Potts is a heck of a third option. I joke, but he knows what he's doing back there. Penn State loves to run the ball, and they have the horses to do so. But again, I'll say this. West Virginia, Illinois, and Iowa, the three teams with a pulse that Penn State has played did hold the Nittany Lions run game in check, especially Iowa. I mentioned the Hawkeyes held, held in air quotes, they held Penn State to 215 yards rushing, which seems like a big number, right? But a chunk of that was Prabula late in the game. The Hawkeyes held Allen and Singleton to about three yards per carry. So it's definitely possible 
to minimize the damage. But still, how impressed are you, Chuck, with this Penn State run game? I'm impressed with the offense as a whole because even in those three games, they scored 38 against West Virginia, 30 against Illinois, and 31 against Iowa. Now, I know it wasn't all offense in a couple of those, but... Illinois gave them the ball 17 times. Their offense was on the field for 58 (laughs) of 60 minutes. Okay. But yeah, but go ahead, but go ahead. So to be able to get to that, and and let's be honest, and this is a precurt, this is a, a some foreshadowing. They get to thirty points Saturday. The Buckeyes are in trouble. I I think that is a a number that is too big for Ohio State against this defense. So stopping the run is great, but they still have to be able to manage the offense as a whole. So it is a um, it's a challenge that this defense has not seen even without the deep ball that is it is paramount that they they are able to make that stop because if they don't if they run through Ohio State this game's going to get ugly quick let me ask you this though is it at all fair to say or compare to say that Penn State is like, I don't know, maybe a little bit better version of Notre Dame? I mean, think about it. Notre Dame has Sam Hartman, not a big deep ball guy, efficient underneath. The Buckeyes, you know, kept him in check. And then the Irish also throw a bunch of running backs at you. Estime might be a comp to Catron Allen. They don't have a Nick Singleton on that team, but they put, what, four or five running backs out on the field. I think Penn State's better. And Ohio State beat Notre Dame by four points with no time left on the clock. But, you know, I I think that's those teams are fairly similar. And Ohio State's defense looked good against Notre Dame. You could make you could convince me that their offenses are similar. And I would be okay with that comparison and I agree with you that there there are some things. The other part of that, which is reassuring, is they only gave up 14 points to, to Notre Dame. So if you can hold Penn State to 14 points, I think you're cooking. I see where you're going. Are you going to... Are you going to tell me that Chop Robinson's a little bit better than Javante John Baptiste? Is that where you're going? <laughs> uh, he he is, and you you ruined the spoiler. Uh, he is a little better. I think they have six defensive ends actually that might be better than him. So that's the concern. the The offenses for Notre Dame and Penn State may be the same. You, you can't convince me, and I was convinced Notre Dame had a good defense. You, you can't convince me looking at this Penn State defense. It's night day, and that is where our defense is going to have to come to play because the Ohio State offense, just this isn't a 40-point game for them. Yeah, and I don't think that part is fluky. We can sort of shit on the competition all we want. But Penn State had a lot of these guys last year. Like, Abdul Carter's been good since the minute he stepped on campus. Chop Robinson has been good since he got to Happy Valley. Like, that part is not fluky. But let's stay on the offense for now. Um, Penn State's offense, that is. As far as outside guys go, watch out for wide receiver Keandre Lambert-Smith. He has nearly double 
the receptions of the second leading pass catcher for the Nittany Lions and more than double the receiving yards. Penn State also loves to use their tight ends. Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren have combined for seven touchdowns, which means that Sonny Styles may be heavily involved in the Buckeyes' defensive game plan, possibly a Steel Chambers revenge game as well. And we should also mention Penn State's offensive line. Left tackle Olu Fashanu is likely to go in the top five of the 2024 NFL Draft. He is the standout. He's he's an animal, man. I hope I got his name right. It's Fashanu, Fashanu. I don't want to mess it up to his face. Good line? Not sure if it's a great line. If only because that running game has been stifled on occasion. But the Nittany Lions have also only allowed four sacks. So, I don't know. Maybe they're all road graders. Olu is the star, but they've got a lot of experience. I think that the interior is one area that Ohio State's defensive front can look to attack. But they're running the ball and they're protecting Aller. So, they're they're a stout, stout unit. This is where my concern for Burke being out was lessened because you look at these guys and, and obviously we talked about Aller not throwing the ball deep, but you look at Lambert Smith, he averages 13 yards a catch and he's the highest on the team minus one guy who is way down. Oh, Trey Potts has two catches and Cephas has seven, but anybody that is a, a main pass catcher is in the eight, 10, 11 yard per catch range to put it into perspective, Ohio state averages 15. So they are much lower. And I think that's where maybe not lose, or if they were to lose Burke, it would be less of a problem just because you don't have to cover the space that you think you're going to have to cover with these receivers. The part with the line that I don't think we really know is because he throws the ball so fast you don't know if they're good. You don't have to know. I think there's something too. you know, they've had some, what you said, they've had some games where the running game hasn't been as electric as they wanted it to be. So maybe it not overall, but I don't think for the passing game, it's going to matter. We've already seen when teams get the ball out quick, Ohio state doesn't even come close to the quarterback. And I don't think that's going to change. I, I would venture to say, I would be shocked if this is more than a one sack game for the Ohio state defensive line. I think it's going to be up to that back seven to really handle business uh, once the ball is out of Aller's hands and then obviously in the run game. And I sort of don't mind if they're just they're on top of their run fits. We we piss and moan about Ohio State's lack of a pass rush, but you know, the defense as a whole, it's been effective, right? And especially with Penn State, I don't know if it's necessarily the case for Allen. But like Nick Singleton's dangerous in the screen game. If they if they pin their ears back and they're only focused on trying to get to Drew Aller and they don't stay in their lanes, they don't hold contain, then Nick Singleton's going to get these dump offs. He's going to get a screen pass and he's going to go 50, 60 yards because he's got a rocket up his ass. So yeah, like I'm okay with a sack or two. If they have if they have five or six, great. That's awesome too. But it I don't think that it is necessary to try to contain the Penn State offense. I think that Ohio State's defense needs to just load up on the run game and force Aller to make throws. That could prove difficult to do without Burke if they're forced to do so, so hopefully he can give it a go. 
and that might mean more Cody Simon, then the Buckeyes potentially open themselves up to getting beat by those tight ends, right? It could be a tall task either way, or it will be a tall task either way. But yeah, I mean, I just think that Jim Knowles, I I talked about Ryan Day bringing his A game. I think that Jim Knowles, even though, look, his guys have been outstanding this year, he needs to bring his A plus game, not to shut down Penn State, but to just hold them to less than Ohio State's able to score. Because I'm with you, I don't think this is going to be a 40-point game by any means. One thing I think you've got to see, and you can have some moments where the running game is working, but I don't think Ohio State is going to be able to go the two or three possessions they went in the second half with Notre Dame where they just literally could not get off the field. I think if they do that, they're not going to be able to come back out of it like they did against Notre Dame. Part of that, and it's crazy because it's working, and I don't I don't understand how, because I don't think he's a good play caller. Is yours? It sure seems to have a a clue this year as to what he's doing with this offense. So I don't think they're going to make the same mistakes Notre Dame did after they ran it down the Buckeyes' throats for well for fourteen minutes of gameplay. If they get into a scenario where they're able to do that. They're just going to keep the head, the the foot on the pedal, and they're probably just going to run away with it. So I think that's key. If you give up some chunks, I think that's okay. Or if you give up a four or five or six play part of a drive, but at some point they've talked about the bend, but don't break it. And Knowles mentioned today that he doesn't like it. I think this is the week being bend, but don't break is a win and leads to a Buckeye win. You could be on to something, and then you force Penn State to maybe kick some field goals. I haven't paid attention. They saw that 300-pound kicker, or maybe it was a punter recently. Who knows? I'm probably wrong on that. Let me check some stats for you while we're looking. Yeah, get his build for me. 6-3-200. Okay, then that's not the guy. I hope that Ohio State's defense can replicate, honestly, what Illinois did. Like, call Burt. I can't call Bert. Somebody in Columbus needs to call Bert. I have bashed that guy ad nauseum a thousand times over. I don't know who their new defensive coordinator is at Illinois, but they had the game plan. I mentioned, yeah, Penn State scored 30 points. Luke Altmeyer threw a thousand interceptions, handed them the ball left and right. In that game, though, Drew Aller, 16 for 33. Less than 50% completion percentage, 208 yards, zero touchdowns. All right? Not good numbers. And then Catron Allen, 13 for 54, four yards per carry. Nick Singleton, 11 for 37, 3.4 yards per carry. Prabula came in. He was 9 for 47 late. Aller went 6 for 24. I mean, you take away Prabula there. I'm just going to keep saying his name. Penn State probably rushed the ball, gosh, 24, 30 times for maybe four yards per carry. And then Aller completed less than 50% of his passes. So it's feasible. It's out there. Like this Penn State D offense can be contained. But, you know, 
Illinois, for all that they've lost, they still have Jerzon Newton and the other kid on the defensive line. They still got some guys in the secondary. So, like I said, Jim Knowles will have to be on his A-plus game, but I absolutely believe that it is possible for Ohio State's defense to hold Penn State's offense in check. But let's let's flip over to the other side. Look at Penn State's defense. The Nittany Lions currently rank as the best unit in the entire football universe, I think. Kidding, but only by a little bit. Penn State is giving up 8 points per game and allowing just 121 passing yards and 72.5 rushing yards per. That is a big yeesh. They have played some dreadful, dreadful offenses though. I already mentioned Iowa putting up 76 total yards. I mentioned Luke Altmeyer from Illinois throwing four picks and Northwestern's Northwestern. UMass is UMass, right? So PSU has gone up against, has not gone up against a murderer's row of offensive juggernauts. But they're still stout. Oddly enough, no Nittany Lion has more than 23 total tackles. But it's sort of death by a thousand cuts or hits. They have 27 freaking sacks in six games, led by Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson. They also have seven interceptions in six games. But I want to start with that defensive line. Isaac and Robinson are legitimately frightening, even more so when Ohio State is running out turnstiles at either or both tackle spots. Not sure what else needs to be said about those guys. Honestly, Chuck, I'm sure you'll have something. And then Penn State doesn't have a behemoth in the interior like they did in previous years with, uh, gosh, P.J. Mustafer. But Zane Durant and Koziah Izzard have combined for four and a half sacks and seven tackles for loss at DT. They rotate, they rotate guys too. I actually think that Danny Dennis Sutton he was a five-star recruit, I think, two years ago. He's probably a double-digit sack guy eventually. He just so happens to be playing behind Isaac and Robinson. So give me your opinion first, Chuck, of this Penn State defensive front or defensive line, I should specify. It's scary, man, because you're looking at those 27 sacks and you're at eight different guys on the defensive line, half sacks. Do does Ohio State have eight sacks? On the, <laughs> I don't know. Eight I, different guys, maybe. But the part of it that's even more concerning, and and we'll get to these guys. But they have another six or seven guys that from our linebackers and defensive backs that have sacks. They're coming from everywhere. Manny Diaz is the is the truth. There's a reason he became head coach at. The U. Now he was a terrible head coach, but he got that job because he was a stud calling defenses and building good defensive squads. And he's doing the same thing here. It is this the, this defensive front scares me more than any position group at any team in a while. And our offensive line play that we've seen from Ohio State is part of that fear. But it's real. And this, if they can hold them sackless or or down, it bodes well. But 
if you told me that Penn State comes out of this game with five sacks against Kyle McCord, it would not shock me, unfortunately. These boys get after it. And five sacks would probably equal an Ohio State loss. I'll just tell you right now, I don't know what my over-under would be. Would Purdue have three? And Purdue gets after you a little bit. They do it with sort of the same thing, right? A bunch of different guys. They mix up their fronts. Penn State doesn't really have to do that. They will, but they don't have to because those guys, they're some dogs. At linebacker, Curtis Jacobs leads the team with 23 tackles. Kobe King, Abdul Carter, and Dominic DeLuca also play. The latter is a former walk-on. I would be lying if I said I knew exactly how those guys rotate. But I've been impressed with Carter since he was a true freshman last season. He only has 14 tackles through six games this year, but he can be a freaking menace. He had five, six and a half sacks and ten and a half tackles for loss in 2022. So keep an eye on, I think he's number 11. I'm pretty sure he's number 11. Finally, Penn State has reloaded in the secondary. You know, this first, same as the first, right? A strength for several seasons. They've lost Brisker, Brown, and Porter Jr. after the last few. This year, Kalen King is the team's shutdown corner. I'm sure that he will get a healthy dose of Marvin Harrison Jr. And he's got a bunch of playmakers around him. King doesn't have the stats this season with just 11 total tackles, one pass breakup, and zero interceptions. But he's legit. Teams have just chosen not to throw in his direction. So overall, like you said, Chuck, you got to give credit to Penn State defensive coordinator Manny Diaz, below average head coach, but a heck of a DC. He has the Nittany Lions defense playing very, very well. What else did you want to add about, you know, back six, back seven of those that we didn't already talk about? King is probably why I'm more interested in Abuka playing because he, my understanding is he's not a slot guy. And if you could put a Buka in the slot and kind of take advantage of somebody who's not uh, Kalen King, then you have an opportunity to probably do some damage. And that might be a, a, a place where they can kind of take advantage of that. You know who spent a little bit of time in the slot against Penn State last year? Who was that? Marv, right? Isn't that where he caught a couple of his slants that absolutely killed Penn State so you could be on to something with that I didn't mean to interrupt too much but I thought I thought back to last year and maybe I just I'm overestimating or misremembering the number but I feel like Marv went crazy with some slants probably out of the slots I'm just going to stop before I say the wrong SL word but but carry on So that that's interesting. The problem is, is Abuka was playing, so he had somebody to put on the outside. It, let's be honest, Xavier Johnson doesn't line up on the outside a lot. So unless you're confident in putting Tate out there, because Fleming's not going to scare him, they may not even put a corner on Fleming. They may just put a linebacker, an extra linebacker on the field. And you him. watch your mouth, sir. <laughs> he is on the Cody Simon list. Uh, except it's the exact opposite. He would need to catch 15 passes for the hate to stop, whereas Cody Simon is going to only need to screw up once for the hate to start again. So the Marv thing is interesting. And, you know, he he worked there in the, the spring in an effort to diversify. Is this the week they maybe try to bring it out? 
Maybe. I guess we'll see. You know, Tate and do you go Tate and Ennis on the outside and then just put Marv on the inside and let's see what happens? That'd be wild, man. If they're just like, hey, guess what? Brandon Ennis starting the game, son. Or, you know, Tate starts and Ennis is in almost immediately. That would be sort of wild. Probably wouldn't put it past him, to be completely honest with you. But what do you think is... What do you think the key is for Ohio State's offense? Let's flip it around a little bit like we did a couple of minutes ago. I think it's try to establish a run game. Like I know it hasn't looked great, but how do you neutralize a couple of insane pass rushers? You get the run game going, and you also make them think about it, even if it's play action. So... I think that Ohio State needs to establish some sort of run game. I hope that they can. I focused a lot of my attention on those ends. I know that Penn State's guys in the interior on the defensive line, they're not big guys. They're not the P.J. Mustafer types. So maybe they're susceptible in there. I just hope that Ohio State can get something going on the ground. Maybe then you get some play action going. And regardless of whether the run game is working or not, Kyle McCord's going to have to get the ball out quick. Would you agree? I think winning first down, and whether it's winning with run game or winning with quick passes, is is going to be key to this game. That, that right there. The second and 10 run into the line to get a yard or two and leaving yourself at third and eight, third and nine, will be a recipe for disaster for this offense. Yep. So. Whatever first down ails they've had, they better figure out the medicine for it this week because they have to consistently put McCord in second and five and less and third and five and less in an effort to have a chance to get it out. Because if it's third and eight, third and nine, third and ten, and he's got to hold it that extra second, he's going to take one right in the kisser on multiple drive ending sacks. Yeah, for sure. Uh The thing with Penn State's rush defense is I don't know how good they are if only because they've been ahead. Teams aren't getting the opportunity to run against them. I mean, Iowa would do anything to run the ball a thousand times a game, but they were down. McNamara was awful. And so, like, you look at Iowa's rushing attempts, six for Kamari Moulton, six for LaShawn Williams, That was it. So, I don't know if Ohio State can get something going. I I hope that they can. I'm not sure that they can. If they do, probably chip train him if healthy. I know that you think that he's not going to be. Maybe Dallin Hayden. Because I think it's going to have to be interior. It's going to be difficult to get not only get to the edge, but then also outrun the ends of Penn State and the linebackers of Penn State. I think you're going to have more success running it between them and then at the linebackers and hoping that your offensive linemen get to the second level. We haven't really seen a whole lot of that, but Dallin Hayden could provide that spark. I was joking. I don't know if it was on the pod or we were just talking. Like This is probably Dallin Hayden's third game. 
And then the Michigan game will be number four. If they still want to do the red shirt, they're just like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna throw you in as needed here. But hey, Travion doesn't mess or keeps messing around and he's the one that's gonna be getting the damn red shirt. Yeah. Good point, right? Did he make it through four? I think yeah, he made it through four. four. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's it. Cause that was the crazy part. That's what we were so crazy about. You played to the end of Notre Dame, got a bye week, and now you're not playing. I think that the fact that he traveled with the team, they may have been like, hey, if you're 90%, we're not going to play you because we don't think that we need to. I, I've got my fingers crossed that that was the case. I've got like all my fingers, all my toes crossed that Denzel Burke plays. And I know you feel the same way about Emeka Ibuka, but let's get to results or expected result, predictions, whatever. The spread for this game is currently, I've seen it as low as three and a half. I've seen it as high as five and a half. That's sort of right in the Vegas zone. If I can borrow from our pod father, Bill Simmons, ignoring all other factors, I think this game should be a pick em. I really do. But since Ohio State is at home, that means I would have given them a three-point bump or made them a three-point favorite. I'm going to let you give your prediction, Chuck, first. Now that I've sort of explained my rationale, I want to hear yours. And, and then I'm going to save mine because I think it might surprise you. So it's, set, it's four and a half right now, and I think that's high. I, I, I agree with you that it is a... You could tell me that it was one and a half or two that they believe Penn State's a better team, even though they're ranked lower, and it would not shock me. Now, obviously, it sure feels like they're just going based on three versus seven, and they're giving Ohio State the point and a half for that and then three points for home. I don't think Ohio State covers. I think this is a 17-14 game that Ohio State wins very late with another late touchdown. Uh, but I don't I don't think either team breaks out offensively. This these defenses are playing too well and God, Penn State's defense just scares the absolute heck out of me. I just think Ohio State's offensive playmakers make a couple extra plays, kind of like Notre Dame. They made a couple plays at the end that Notre Dame just didn't have anybody that could do that. That's really unfortunate because I was probably half a second away from a heart attack against Penn State several times. Or, I'm sorry, against Notre Dame several times. So to hear you say that it's going to be one of those games, I don't know, man. Like, I might watch the first quarter, then turn on a movie. I don't know, Sound of Music. Something to make me happy. <laughs> just, just not even think. Throw my phone away. But, hey, at least you could eat. At least you could DVR it, and you don't have to worry about Peacock screwing that up for you. There you go. And then I'll just I'll turn my phone back on at 3.30 or 4.45 if the commercials are extra beefy for this game. And I'll ask somebody if I should watch it or not. But I thought that my – or I think that my prediction will surprise you if only because of the score. Uh, we've talked a lot about these defenses – and don't get me wrong, I think they're both very, very good. But I think that Penn State's played a, an awful schedule, man. They haven't played an offense with a pulse 
And Penn State just, or in Ohio State, they just sort of stood on their head against Notre Dame. I don't think that Notre Dame played their best game in South Bend. So I think both de- defenses, they don't get exposed, but... I, I think people realize, okay, maybe they're not each the 85 Bears, right? So this is a heart pick. I'm not sure it's a head pick, but give me 31-27 Buckeyes. Like you, I think it's close. I, I know, it's high, right? And I'm probably going to end up being wrong, but regardless, I think it's a close game. I think that... Marvin Harrison Jr. is able to make some plays, but then again, I think the same thing for Aller and the running backs on the other side. I think it's a little bit more back and forth than a lot of people expect, so I'm definitely going out on a limb here, 31-27. So that's the pod, guys. Like This one was pretty straightforward. It, not a whole lot of filler, not a whole lot of comedy. Except for me, you know, I always sort of bring that. I am the comedic humor. Get the hell, get the hell out of here! But <laughs> that's the funniest. That's the funniest thing you've said all day. I hope this had more of a serious tone to it. And I hope we gave you all some some good information and things like that because Chuck and I are going to be dialed in on this one. It's going to be a heated game. It's a top seven matchup. I know for a fact that a lot of people expect Ohio State to lose. And it's entirely possible, man. Like, there are huge, huge implications on the line. So that's going to do it for Chuck and myself. We will be back with you guys Sunday, come hell or high water, win or loss. Hopefully it is the former for our Ohio State Buckeyes. So until then, guys. Hit us up on social media, interact with us, send us some emails. And until Sunday, please like, rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. And as always, go Bucks.